0: Welcome to Bits, Bites and Bourbon, the podcast that covers the worlds of technology, gaming, and geekdom with a fine tasty beverage. Hosted by Julian Spillane from Comey Games and Avinash Singh from Easy Tech Care, this relaxed, off-the-cuff podcast is rich with non-sequiturs and debates on whether they should have taken the red pill or the blue pill.
1: So, so last podcast, we touched a little bit on uh, Garfield Eats. <laughs> <laughs> I think we should, at some point, really follow up on that. I think so. I, th-
0: I think Garfield Eats is, uh, is something that is powerful and real yeah. and needs to be addressed. I almost think that uh, we need to do a multi-stage episode. Where we talk about Garfield Garfield's and then we actually go there.
1: Oh yeah, we have to we have to actually taste the product and also like talk about you know their eco friendly focus. Oh my
0: god, <laughs> I and, and I, I, we'll save it for another pod, but we need to go through uh, the CEO's uh, manifesto. Oh yeah, um, and just the content on the website. It's just for those of
1: you who don't know, we we live in Toronto and uh, we are lucky to be one of two places in the world. <laughs> home to a Garfield-themed restaurant, yep. the other place being Dubai. Because uh,
0: anything works in Dubai.
1: Yeah, and and it's uh, it's a real trip. Uh, if you Google Garfield Eats, you'll go on a journey uh, that takes you places. And I, neither of us have actually gone to eat there yet, but we will brave it for you, dear listeners. And uh,
0: that'll be the Garfield Eats special. That's right. It will oh, be the Garfield Eats special. No kidding. And there's going to be a lot of bourbon in that special because the food does not look good no no it looks like like a lovecraftian nightmare oh it's it's, it's horrible it's horrible but we'll, we'll we'll brave that for you guys uh and but yeah do yourself a favor in advance of that episode and like julian said go and google garfield eats uh and you can view you can get a preview of the spectacle there within uh, it's quite the rabbit hole that we dove down a few weeks ago and it was it, it was something else it sure is but uh we don't have time to talk about Garfield today. We don't have time to talk because about Garfield. Because we
1: have a more important uh issue is CES, the consumer electronics show, has come and uh passed us by again.
0: Yeah, yeah, like it does every single year, and uh every single year it's it's just it's the same old thing, right? I it's 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 it's, it's amazing. I think the interesting thing about CES is it reminds me. Uh, of Comdex, right? Yep. So way back in the day Comdex, that was the big tech uh, conference. And what I don't quite get is Comdex sort of vaporized into obscurity, into, into irrelevance, right? Uh, at one point, Comdex would have hundreds of thousands of attendees. I was at the very last Comdex uh, in Vegas, and there was, I think, 50,000 attendees that showed up at Comdex. Um, you know, and, and, and so, it really kind of dwindled. At one point Comdex had, when it was on, it had every single square foot of conference room space or conference center space in all of Las Vegas. Uh, and so in 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 terms of tech and what is actually there, CES I feel is just as irrelevant as Comdex was in its waning days, but for some reason everyone shows up. I think all trade shows
1: are dying. And yeah. here's the reason, right? So trade shows by their definition were originally created to pair up market channel retail partners with creators and distributors of of things, products, right? right? So both Comdex and CES and also gaming trade shows like E3 mm-hmm. and a bunch of these other non-consumer focused events, right? Were and like NAM for mm-hmm. music and and music gear. We're just coming up. Uh yeah. Um these types of trade shows existed to convince retailers to purchase products and retail them, right? Right. Uh, CES was really an opportunity for the Walmarts and the best buys of the world to find what gadgets they're going to stock over the next year. The problem is the internet has killed the trade show,
0: right? The internet's killing retail.
1: Of course. And so, like, if I'm ordering off retail, uh, off of the internet, rather, and retailers are picking up products that were kickstarted, right uh who needs a trade show why do why do i need a middleman to get my cool ass smartwatch that i successfully kickstarted and released
0: into best buy well and, and, and it's a really good point i mean particularly on the side of sort of online retail um i've got family members uh my my cousin uh used to be uh, a product manager and a product developer for flipkart in india right which now is owned by walmart right And so most of the folks at Flipkart are now being assigned to Walmart's own processes. But these, these, and, and so obviously Amazon has the same thing. And these people are seeking out brand new products in real time. They're not waiting for seasons or whatnot. They're actively seeking out people who are coming up with new stuff, who wanna bring it to market all the time. So there isn't really a need I mean, quite frankly, there, there were several folks over at CES uh, in their emerging technology sort of area that were showing off their new wares that either were already on Kickstarter or some of them even were already being sold by Amazon somewhere, yep. right? Uh, because these guys had already reached out to them and talked to them and they're like, "Great, right,
1: that's well, fine. And CES was also the other important part of the trifecta for trade shows and zero was journalism, mm-hmm. right? So you'd have all the tech journalists go to CES they would write up about their experiences and it would get published in a mag- in the next issue of the magazine the february issue of tech world right. would have a write up of ces mm-hmm. or pc gamer or pc world or any of those spin-offs right but I can find out what's happening at CES in literally real time Great. by looking at somebody's Twitch stream of being at CES. So what's the point of it?
0: Yeah, and, and even you know publications, online publications like Engadget and The Verge and all those guys, they they, they want to write up all this material and all this content on CES. But if you follow them on Instagram, uh, they're put, posting everything in real time yeah. and you're getting a flavor for what it is. And before they're even leaving the conference – they are posting up their review, uh, you know, their conference summary uh, videos, right? Yep. And so you don't even need to read their own publications. Just stay tuned to them on, on, on social media.
1: I also think the diminishment of Moore's Law is contributing a little bit to the blahness of tech annual, annualized tech trade shows. Right. It used to be that, like, the difference between CES 1992 and CES 1994 was so astronomically huge. That That's a good point. Tech, tech leaps and bounds were happening each each year, right? Again, mm-hmm. in accordance to Moore's Law. But as we've understood in the past few years, Moore's Law mm-hmm. has uh, proven to no longer hold true mm-hmm. in the development of our processors. Uh, for those who don't, understand, don't know, Moore's Law um, comes from the founder of Intel, yep. Moore, uh, who speculated that the number of transistors in a... Given processor would exponentiate year over year yeah it was I think it,
0: I, I mean, and listeners to the pod you can make put it in your comments if i'm wrong, but I believe it's uh they would double every eighteen months
1: yeah it was a, yeah a, a, yeah they would increase at a doubling rate yeah not, not year over year right it was every eighteen months every eighteen and months they for waited. a long time that held fairly true and for the past like half decade it's basically become uh Stagnant grow, yeah. growth of, of
0: you know, and I, I think I think we're kind of really started becoming stagnant, and and Intel was the one behind it, uh, inspired by Steve Jobs, was uh, Steve Jobs when Apple made the switch over to Intel. Uh, Steve Steve's big gift to Intel at the time Intel was losing the processor battle to uh, to AMD um, was that uh, and and by processor battle I mean like horsepower. Intel was always the king of the castle as far as volume sales yeah. and stuff. But um, AMD chips were AMD, or back then it was uh, it, it wasn't AMD. It was the precursor to AMD, which I am now. It was, a it was still mind. AMD. A, a, ATI had yet to be. Acquired. Oh, that's right. That's right. Yeah, But yeah. it was still AMD, AMD. bought ATI, so yeah. that's where I'm getting because the acronyms are so close. Uh so AMD was in in some regards was surpassing them on raw computing power. Yep. Um, but this was this crazy horsepower race, and yeah, you were getting Steve like 3.8, 3.8 gigahertz. Uh, you know, yeah, absolutely. And, and so Steve Jobs at that, there said, "That's not the game. The game is performance per watt, because you're building these more and more powerful processors, and we want to make smaller and smaller devices, and we don't have the ability to cool anything if it's that if it's too you know that that, that kind of a form factor." And the big frustration that Jobs was having was, we want to come out with these really razor-thin MacBooks, but the processes all you guys are making are running too hot. We can't make anything that thin. Otherwise, the thing will melt down or have all sorts of malfunctions. So he convinced them to focus on power per watt, and that fundamentally changed Moore's law because mm-hmm. now they weren't focusing on increasing horsepower all the time. There was how much computing power we can get in the least amount of wattage per wattage possible. And so that has exponentially grown year over year over year. But what interestingly happens is, and I think we would have come to this conclusion anyway without power per watt, would be that once you reach a certain level of computing power, the qualitative differences of what you can do with that to the average consumer is negligible.
1: Well, yeah, I would argue that unless you are a uh, hardcore gamer who is focusing on latest and greatest GPU uh, accelerated technology, like, you know, using um, RTX Mm -hmm. on NVIDIA to do the the real-time ray tracing and stuff like that, your CPU's power is basically a meaningless statistic to you. Mm -hmm. Um, I'd say probably most people don't even know what their CPUs are clocked at in their laptops. Yep. Because it's a non-issue. And and, and, and internet speeds are more of a bottleneck now than processing
0: 100%. But also the thing is, you know, if, if we peel it back from the technical side, which is hard for guys like us to do, but if you, if you just look away from a, from a qualitative perspective instead of a quantitative perspective from technology, uh, what is the average user's experience? The average home user's experience is they get a brand new machine, it's smoking fast, they're really happy with it for about six to 10 months, and then there's this curve of it feeling slower and slower as time progresses, right? And that's because new, experiences are trying to be uh, leveraged on that platform and that platform is less and less capable of being able to deliver that. And at the three year mark or so, you're like, I need to get a new computer, this one's too slow it's no, not fundamentally slower than it was three years prior it's just that now your requirements have gone up over those three years so what do you do? You buy a new computer and it feels smoking fast for yep. the next six months and it's that that similar cycle and when people go through that cycle enough times like well this is just how a computer experience is and they start becoming blind to horsepower and all this kind of stuff because they just, how do you know and, and, and that's the whole adage in business for, for example yep. right? It's you know, one of, one of the strongest advice, pieces of advice, and it's, it's been published somewhere that I've heard uh, as far as running a business concern, is that people aren't, are less concerned with what you did for them than how you made them feel, mm-hmm. right? And that's the thing, the feeling of this new technology, this new horsepower, feels no different than it did three years ago, six years ago, eight years ago, 10 years ago, because you're going through a rather similar process. And certain pieces of technology iterate faster. So, for example, your phone experience, right? The reason why we upgrade phones so often is because phones have been going through this paradigm shift of doing more and more well, and for are also And day. they're also
1: the manufacturing focus, right? That's like, right. That's where the dollars are. It's where everyone's putting their R&D money because mm-hmm. they know that it's an amazingly m- marginable – like, they can make, add good margins on those commodities, right? right. And you know, make good margins on them.
0: The other thing, too, is the wear and tear on your mobile phone is so massive. Yep that they're basically selling you a laptop computer at the price of a laptop computer. Now, all the flagship phones are two grand a piece. Mm-hmm. But they know you are going to do things to that computer that you would never do to another computer, which increases the likelihood of you needing to replace that within the next 18 months. Not that it's obsolete, but because you're going to destroy it exactly. in the next 18 months. Now, you're speaking drop of
1: that, it. another gripe I have about CES is I feel like we've been stuck in, in a treadmill um, right. with, with Technologies for a while. Uh, I'd say that the past four CESs have been focused and fixated on bendable displays, like curved displays, yes. and self-driving cars. Yep. And yet, we have yet to realize either of them in any appreciable way. Like, Tesla has done more than anyone else, really, in, mm-hmm. in self-driving. But in terms of
0: foldable displays, like, Samsung has come the closest and they keep shitting the bed. Well, the perfect example is this here, right? So to your point... Uh, one of the texts that was best in show was Lenovo's foldable, uh, foldable computer, I think it was, or a yeah. foldable laptop, right? And the thing is the thickness of a paperback novel when you fold it, right? Like a small paperback novel, but it's a paperback novel. Yeah. It's that thick. And the other thing, too, is because it's a, it's a foldable sort of thing, the lower half of it is a touchscreen sort of keyboard, and we all know how much we love non tactile response keyboards. Oh, yeah. Right? I mean, there's a reason why people aren't writing the next great American play on an iPad. Because you just, it's not designed, that experience is not designed for um, content creation in the written form. Mm-hmm. And so a foldable display that you use rather than a tablet is not fundamentally different from a tablet full stop
1: i also just don't understand the need for it like until i can fold it like a my pockets are big enough to maintain to to have my phone exist in it that's right so what am i folding it smaller for i I get for curved displays and and like digital paper i see the future in in that kind of thing for like like, say a digital like wall cling Mm -hmm. like or window cling yep that's amazing but like for my phone, yeah, no, that's that. It seems it's pointless. That's right. And I just feel like we've been treading water at CES every year with this thing, and it just it, it gets me less excited every year. Yeah. for the trade show,
0: I feel like you know the the current sort of iterations that we've been on for literally for the last three CESs now uh, with the foldable stuff. Uh, it feels like three D TV all over again, right? <laughs> sure like, does. You know, until you get the high order bit, right, which is you know, I want this ultra-portable light and almost ubiquitous. Until you get there, the technology's entirely useless. When 3D displays first came out, I said, it's not going to work until you don't need the glasses, mm-hmm. right? And even then, the lenticular displays were extremely expensive. Yep. I think Toshiba
1: was the only one that made them. They were the only ones. And your viewing angle was, what, 30 degrees off of center, and that's yeah. the, the end of your lenticular-like effect? Yep. So... It's... We never really pursued that further. No. And I don't know. I think everyone was so excited at the prospect of 3D because the people who executed on it well, like James Cameron, Mm -hmm. introduced you to a whole new way of experiencing content. Yeah. But then everyone realized how goddamn expensive it is to film in 3D. Right.
0: Really film in 3D. To
1: truly film in 3D requires... Uh, a completely different
0: production infrastructure than what most Hollywood productions are used to. So you end up with... Because that was a big difference with James Cameron versus everybody else. James Cameron not didn't just shoot in 3D. He framed the shots in 3D. Yes. And that second bit is really, really expensive and hard to do. Well, because
1: you have to basically change up the entire filmic paradigm. That's right. Uh, so you know what? Another, I think, fantastic usage of 3D was the re-release of the lion king uh in 3d when they did that like five years ago Mm -hmm. what the what they did for that was uh they used the existing cells and the existing backgrounds as a guide point to paint depth so all the 3d depth was actually painted right um, into into the the frame buffer that's a really
0: interesting application of a transferable skill set though right Mm -hmm. because traditional cell animators are used to layering things in 3D, and and they're effectively framing everything in 3D anyway. Exactly. Because they have to do layers and layers. And, and all
1: layers. they had to do was assign depth values to the individual layers, mm-hmm. and then if they wanted any depth movement, they animate it like mm-hmm. they would anything else. So I think it was a spectacular uh, depiction of, of 3D, just I, it was a moment in time. I don't think we'll ever see that again.
0: Yeah, yeah. It's, 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 it's always fascinating when, you know... Film studios clue into the fact of what they've got on their hands. And particularly, you know, these these skill sets that, you know, a company like Disney has been cultivating for almost a century mm-hmm. and not realizing is how important these animators are yep. and and what their their latent skill set is. Um and, and leveraging it in a beautiful way, you know. But you know, the interesting thing on, on, on all of this going back to CES is you know, you mentioned the other thing, which was uh, uh, autom- like you know, uh, uh, autonomous cars. And I wouldn't say that autonomous cars have jumped the shark, right? Because they're not. That is the future of trans- human transport uh, automation mm-hmm. for sure. But huge red flag came up for me this year when Sony unveiled their autonomous car, their electric car, right? That has all sorts of automation. Sony. Are you kidding? You're making cars now? Yeah. Now One, one thing that, that it did totally reaffirm to me is that all those rumors of Apple making a car and Apple never releasing a car, Apple was wise not to release a car. I agree. I Because mean, why are you trying to get into that market? I you
1: know I, On the other hand, you've got people who uh, thought that Tesla could never do it because coming in and challenging the incumbents is very difficult, in, in, especially in automotive where things have been... Pretty fixed for the last hundred years. Right. Um, however, you've got, you know, uh, not everyone can be a Tesla. Mm-hmm. And it's still on the fence whether or not Tesla's an albatross anyways.
0: It's true. It's true. Uh, but, I mean, well, you know, like, what's, what's the shelf life, right? Yeah, it's- we
1: don't know. Um, but they're the closest to be able to do it. And I think, yeah, the idea of, just, like, yes, yeah, Sony producing an autonomous vehicle. It's, it's grandeur and showmanship. Mm-hmm. Um, and... I think when the dust settles, the ones who will win will be the incumbents. Yeah. You know, like and, once, and, and once, once Nissan can put a good, affordable, autonomous unit in their entry level vehicles, like in their Sentras, right. um, you're fine, right? Like once VW. I, I, I
0: think, I, I, and then you know, I'm glad you mentioned VW. I think the, the, the coming sort of um, boom in that market. The paradigm shift that is going to happen in the next few years when VW releases all of their electric cars. Once they're done lying about their emissions. That's right, that. exactly. <laughs> right. So uh, this is a, a bit of a short episode of the podcast, but we cannot end this podcast without, without the talking elephant.
1: To, talking about the elephant in the room,
0: the very big elephant in the room, uh, the elephant in the room with uh, with fabulous shoes, and that is Ivanka Trump.
1: The of all the women oh. in tech they had to pick someone who isn't to keynote CES. There are so many incredibly talented, accomplished women CEOs mm-hmm. in tech right now. And I would argue probably we are at the the highest point
0: mm-hmm. now of women in tech, and we're not even far enough. We need no. to be better, but absolutely that, that that and that's because tech has been trying to focus on getting more women into senior C level roles. Yeah, and quite honestly, failing miserably at it as as per usual. Yeah, right. But it, like all industries are failing miserably at, it. and I feel terrible that here's two guys in tech talking about this. We really we really need you know the female perspective on this, but we got a lot of the female perspective in the media uh, as soon as it was announced, right? I mean, at the end of the day, you follow up last year's keynote speaker who was the first female uh, president, CEO, and chairman of IBM mm-hmm. in the company's history, delivering an electrifying keynote address with Ivanka Trump, right? Important to note, um, uh, Meg Whitman, Right? So yep. you know, one of the key principals and former CEO of, of eBay, along with being the former CEO of HP, um, both, and she was actually instrumental in HP and HP Enterprise, kind of splitting off and doing those two things. Uh, she was shoehorned in last minute in 2002 as a keynote panelist when people were screaming that there were no women. And she still hasn't had her own keynote at CES. No. And she's one of the most accomplished people, women in tech. I I would say, so my argument would have been uh, uh,
1: anybody, Lisa Su, who is the current CEO of AMD. Absolutely. Should have keynoted because AMD is having probably the greatest year Mm -hmm. of their entire corporate existence. And it is because of the leadership level of, of, of Sue's decision making. Absolutely, like, and,
0: and, and so um, AMD's presentation at CES, everyone raved about. Yeah. Right, that was the keynote that should have been the keynote. So right? uh, what your listeners,
1: you know, realize is that Avi and I subjected ourselves oh my God. to the Ivanka Trump keynote so that you don't have to. Oh. Incoherent is a, a nice word
0: to describe. It was vacuous. It was extraordinary. It was one third the uh, president of CES promoting his book. Yep. Uh, And then two thirds of Ivanka Trump literally running on a single run on sentence that had no response to whatever sort of. Empty things that she was talking about that the president and the administration was doing for jobs in general, and why can't we, you know, leverage technology so, I, in certain ways that can make the world better? I'm actually speaking of the way she spoke. It, it,
1: it is, it's actually a really good way to fall asleep.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Uh, it's almost like a drone. Yeah, it's, it's 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 it was nonsensical. There there was just nothing entertaining about it, and all I can say is that the president of CES must obviously golf at Mar-a-Lago. Has to. That's that's all I can infer has from that. To. From there
0: has that. to be, you know, he has to be a donor for Trump, or I, I th- there has to be a reason, because there, you know, for all of the the outcry for when it was announced, it was all reaffirmed when she actually went on stage Why? and what she said, which was absolutely nothing. And, yeah. and provided no value To a conference about electronics and technology. Yeah. Like none whatsoever. Particularly when there are so, like you said, there are so many women in key positions in the world of technology that are infinitely more qualified and far more compelling. Yep. You know, it can be argued that the female CEO of SpaceX was too busy putting people on the moon. Yep. (laughs) <laughs> than doing the keynote address that Ivanka had to fill in for. I mean, like, when there's people like that, why are you even in the room? Yeah, it's, it's, and, it's, it's
1: mind-boggling. Yeah. So we gotta, we got to wrap this up, but mm. um, rapid fire, uh, as is our want-to-do. <laughs> yep. uh, weirdest CES gadget you've seen, mine, is the Smart Belt.
0: The Smart Belt?
1: Yeah, so Smart Belt was announced. Uh, it keeps track of your waist size okay uh it 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 acts as like a like a pedometer mm-hmm. uh measuring footsteps and whatnot. It will a- allegedly uh advise you on when you've eaten unhealthy things now i don't understand how it does that without a direct like access to your blood, but <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure it's got some AI in there uh, yeah, and a- allegedly it's also got some AI in there to help detect falls and mitigate falling. Uh, mm-hmm. it's, it's definitely one of the weirder things I've seen out of CES this year.
0: Wow. Uh, I don't have an answer to that. The smart belt. Um, this year, CES had a heavy, heavy uh, emphasis on pet technology. Yeah. There was a ton of pet technology there and a pet automation. And, you know, we're rapidly, you know, if, if CES had its way, we're rapidly hurtling towards the fifth element world where, you know, Corbin Dallas would leave his small little apartment and all machines would just feed his cat and make sure that the cat was okay all day, every day. Um, so uh, the, some of the pet technology was really sort of interesting and intriguing, right? So, uh, um, and not in a good way, in yeah. more of a weird train wreck sort of way.
1: I, I, I love bougie products for people who don't know any better. Right. That's probably my favorite genre of tech. Yeah. Like, oh, this garbage product specifically targeted at a dumb rich person who will buy it. Right. And well, i have absolutely no clue how
0: stupid it is once they, you know, buy it and use it. And I think that's a perfect way to end it. That that is exactly what C E S has now become, right?
1: <laughs> Bushy, <laughs> bougie stupid products for stupid rich people.
0: Yeah. That's exactly it, right? You know, and, 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 and sort of the the, the mundane what's the latest, biggest TV, which is basically all that it is. Now.
1: Yeah, 8K apparently isn't all that.
0: Yeah. <laughs> I don't care. <laughs> so from, all, uh, from both of us here over at, uh, at Bits, Bites, and Bourbon, I've been Avinash Singh. And I've been Julian Splain, And we'll catch you next time. Yeah, take care. Bits Bites and Bourbon is an EasyTech cast production and was recorded in the back lounge at EasyTech Care's offices in downtown Toronto. And while the fine spirits we enjoyed tonight weren't sponsored, they should have been. Hint. Hint. For more details about EasyTech Care, visit them at easytechcare.com. And to see what Comey Games are up to, check them out at ComeyGames.com.